0: Miller and Condon Ken Miller oh, mama. Trent Condon Score. This is Miller and Condon On Des Moines Sports Station
1: 106.3 KXNO Good morning and welcome in Miller and Condon on the air with you Here on a Friday As we talk the world of sports up until 1 o'clock Trent Condon running solo here for the next couple of hours I got you covered though with a myriad of different guests, we're going to be talking the gambit of what's happening on the world of sports here today. Coming up on the BMW of Des Moines guest list, we kick things off at 1125. Tom Kaker from HawkeyeReport.com will stop in an ever-changing roster for Iowa football, what they have, what they're going to be. And obviously, a look at the basketball team after the transfer news with Aaron Eulis, his departure along with Joshua Agundale. Iowa already heavily involved with a lot of transfer prospects. We'll get into that. Football, basketball, and of course, a huge Sweet 16 matchup tonight as the Iowa women try to punch their ticket into the Elite Eight as they get six-seeded Colorado. The Hawkeyes currently a five-and-a-half-point favorite in that one at Circus Sports. That comes up at 11.25. Then later in our number 1, we'll talk Cyclones with Dave Sprout. We heard from Matt Campbell yesterday, and we will talk about that a little bit. What we heard from him, the ins and outs of everything going on with Iowa State. Of course, Stephanie Soares not giving an extra year of eligibility. A big storyline there for Iowa State women, and we will get into that and a whole lot more. Dave Sproul stops by at 11.50, and probably our final conversation before Major League Baseball starts up next week. We'll get his thoughts on the team that we both root for, the Minnesota Twins. Speaking of the Twins, 1225, Nick Nelson's going to stop by as we begin our previews of the regional teams here. We hit the Cubs and the White Sox a lot with Cappy, and we'll also have individual writers on both of those. We'll talk with Brian Walton on the Cardinals. We'll take a look at the Royals, the Brewers. Yeah, maybe we'll throw them a bone uh, next week before things. Get going on Thursday, a full slate of games to begin the Major League Baseball season. And at 12.05 in his customary Friday spot, he is Mike Palm, the Vice President of Operations at Circa Sports. That's where Ken is right now, hanging out at Circa. He was watching the Sweet 16 games. I was texting with Palm. He was waiting for Ken to get there last night. They watched the games over at Bar Canada at the d another one of the properties along with Circa and the Golden Gate that uh, they have down there on Fremont. And looking at the pictures, saw Chris Williams is there from Iowa, everywhere, John Miller, a couple other people out there with them too. Oh, uh, the jealousy, it it definitely was ratcheting up last night. Well, the good news is here in our state, you don't have to go to Nevada anymore to wager on sports. And last night, the Heater in College basketball continued. Went 4-0 in my picks. It has been quite the season here, and this is not to just pat myself on the back. Well, maybe it's a little bit of patting myself on the back, but I was doing the math last night and went through month by month of what I've done in college basketball because I, I get I get crap from people all the time. Hey, you're not a real handicapper. You don't know what you're doing. Well, that's true. I'm not a real handicapper. I'm not somebody that breaks down the games like people much deeper. I don't have the same bankroll as a lot of those professionals out there either, but I do feel... More than anything. Yes, I'll bet NFL. I'll bet baseball. I'll bet college football. I'll bet on everything. I I think anybody that has listened to this program for any period of time understands that I'll fire at most anything and have an opinion. But college basketball for years has always been not just my favorite sport to watch, my favorite one to wager on. And it came to full circle as I was adding it up. So we kick things off in November, 83 and 57, up 23 units. December, up 33 units, 115 and 79. Now you'll see... I play a ton of games. That's also just the way that I bet because I have a lot of opinions. I think you know that as well. January, we're up 25 units, went 162 and 135. And then the last two months, February, up 27 units, 118 and 88 against the number. And March, currently, we are 83, 53 and 2 against the number, up 27 units. Been following along with me this year. That's 134 units that were up on the year, approximately, give or take. Not too shabby. Even if you're a $10 better like me, that's a little bit north of $1,300 on the year. And if you go north of that, it's been good. Thanks to everybody for following along. So I'm going to ask you, if you haven't followed along with me, I post all of my picks up at the Action Network. I believe it's something that I need to do. As somebody that gives out picks here on the airwaves, and you can see, hey, if I'm going through a downturn, and you want to stay away, do that. You want to start to fade me, you absolutely can do that as well. Maybe come baseball season, that would be the right thing to do, as I'll still be handing out my picks every single day at 1250, as we do every single night, day here on Miller and & Con, and that's what we do. But it just is something that I want to have out there, and I want to document exactly what is happening, because this isn't going to last forever. And this isn't going to mean here over the four games today, the two that we'll see coming up on Saturday and Sunday and then into the final four, that doesn't mean in these final 11 games that I'm going to get them all right. I could easily go on 11 I don't think I'm going to play all 11 games. Well, let's be honest. I'll probably play them in one form or fashion. But college basketball, what you can find, game in and game out, the discrepancy that is out there with 360 teams at the Division One level, and it might be you like the American East, and you're going to follow along could be the Missouri Valley or the Summit League something you know regional here and you get a better feel of things whatever it may be there's a ton of different ways to do it i love it so what i'm going to ask if you've been following along and making a little bit of money jump on the circus sportsbook app give it a shot i'm telling you does it have the bells and whistles of some of the others no does it have what you're looking for for bonus it doesn't but ultimately you're going to get the best lines if you're a big player You're going to have the biggest, and the biggest part about it is it's the lowest hold, meaning the most money goes back to the better. You look at what they do in golf. You look at what they do in the futures market. There was one that I saw last night from one of their sportsbook directors, uh, Matt Benson, and he was talking about if you bet a future before the season and rolled it over, we hear this a lot, and we talk about this quite often, it's actually better. When you get to, say, the playoffs or an NCAA tournament, if you've got a long shot, it's usually better just to roll it over as opposed to betting them on the future. So say you're putting 10 bucks down on Florida Atlantic before the tournament began, and you keep rolling that bet over and you keep building it, you're going to get, in the end, more money. Well, not the case this year at Circa. That's what they do in the futures market. That's what they do on the daily lines. Time in and time out, they're going to have it. So do me a favor. Download the Circa Sports app. Give it a chance. It is something that I think you're absolutely going to love because of what you get as a better. And you're not going to get that $5 bonus bet. Come on. What you're going to get is the best lines, the best futures, and the lowest hold. That means more money in your account. Make your own bonus, and you can do it with Circa Sports. So that is my ask for you. If you've been following along with these picks, or maybe you made a little bit of money there, give it a shot. I think you're going to be really happy about it. Let's get into what we saw last night. You can stop by and join me as well, 264 Oh, oh, 264-KXNO, you can jump aboard here with us here today. Had a little brain fart there. So, kick things off in what has to be the game of the tournament. And then, less than two hours later, the game of the tournament happened again. So, kick things off with Michigan State-K-State. We get our first overtime game. K-State for a while, looked like maybe they were going to pull away the play, obviously, of Marquise Noel. An NCAA tournament record, 19 assists, 20 points. There was a couple of points in the game though where he was forcing and he was chucking, he had the ankle injury, he comes back to go back home. Like this guy, he went down to Little Rock. And that's where he got his opportunity, being listed at five foot eight. And if you're listed at five foot eight, more times than not, I'll tell you he's a short guy, probably not five foot eight. Now, unfortunately for me, I never got listed at five foot eight. Five seven in your program in the North Iowa conference back in the day. And if you're at that height, maybe you stretch it just a little bit more. He didn't have big opportunities because of that. And it goes down to Little Rock, and he's a good player. And it's the summer, and he's looking for a home. And K-State brings in Jerome Tang, and he's looking for players. And what a perfect marriage this has been. When he left New York, and he went down to Little Rock, in his wildest dreams, did he ever think he was going to have an opportunity as a collegiate player to play at Madison Square Garden? Of course, you got the tournaments in November. You know, so I will play Duke this year. You have those. Little Rock, they're not getting, being selected for those games. And even when you go to K-State, yes, you have belief in yourself. But for all the circumstances to happen in the way that they did, for him to have that opportunity to go back home, and also how many times we see that narrative out there, and the guy struggle. Not the case last night for Noel. Just an absolutely incredible. And the Aliu. As he's looking over at Jerome Tang, he's talking to his coach. Looks like Tang's telling him to do one thing. He's like, no, I got this. And then the throw to alley and the reverse jam by Johnson. Just a thing of beauty. Michigan State had responses. Michigan State had opportunities. Hauser went slow and went cold there after being so hot through most of the game. Had three or four misses there down the stretch of regulation that could open up the lead a little bit more for Michigan State or give them the lead back. It was a back-and-forth affair. We got exactly what we wanted. Big 10 versus Big 12, and the Big 12 punches their ticket into the Elite Eight. Game two, Arkansas-UConn. Woof. Arkansas, they played their national championship game. It happened here in Des Moines last Saturday. That was a team that was not ready. That was a team that was absolutely blissed in a team That they faced in UConn that I have told you throughout the course of this year. Connecticut, when they are right, they're the best team in the country. It's not Alabama. Remember, these two teams played earlier this year. UConn beat it by 13. It's not Houston. When everything is clicking, when everything is going at its top level, Connecticut is the best team in the country. And you can have questions about Hurley, and there's plenty of that. Late game situations, there's been plenty of questions about him. This is a team that had a rough patch. Lost six out of eight. A lot of people jumped off the bandwagon. I told you then it was the perfect time to jump aboard with Futures. And now you feel like you're in pretty good shape. And what we're going to get then on Saturday with that UConn-Gonzaga matchup. That's going to be good. We'll talk about that here a little bit later on today. Game three. I've been fading Tennessee from the beginning against Louisiana. Not only did I have a ticket on the Raging Cajuns, I had them on the money line. I was heavily invested there. It was one of my top picks. Now, I got the win, obviously, in the cover with Louisiana. Didn't get the victory, though, of course, on the money line. And then Game 2 against Duke, I was all over the Dukies. And what a bad read that was. It was a man's man team in Tennessee that went up there, and they beat up the young kids. Here, Florida Atlantic. Not the most veteran team, though a team that has played a lot of basketball together. We're not talking about a bunch of seniors. We're not talking about fifth- and sixth-year guys on this Florida Atlantic team. But they've been together for a couple of years. Dusty May has done one of the most remarkable jobs in college basketball of what he has built this thing into. And they go into the lead eight now feeling really good. They finally got hot. Here's the thing about Florida Atlantic. If you haven't seen much of the Owls this season, and if you watch them during the tournament and you kind of say, eh, they're all right. And the Memphis game, hey, if the referees get the call right in game one against Memphis. Memphis had the ball. They were trying to call timeout. Multiple players on the floor were trying to call timeout. Florida Atlantic loses that game. We know what happens then later. Of course, Purdue gets knocked off, and and here it sets up. They get a win against Fairleigh Dickinson, a win against a Tennessee team that loses its best player and was bad offensively even before that. And I just felt like the magic had to run out at some point. That's why I was all about Atlantic last night. Great win for them, and they are absolutely, absolutely have a shot of knocking off K-State and punching their ticket into the Final Four. As improbable, Of a team, you know, you think back and we think of the runs early on from Gonzaga and what they were able to do. You see those teams that make the run. George Mason getting in there. They had a Hall of Fame coach in Jim Laranega and what they did. VCU coming from the first four, ending up in the final four. We've seen these stories before. This one, those were programs at least that had some kind of merit. Florida Atlantic, they made the tournament. Florida Atlantic only been a program since 88. This is different. And not just that, this is not some kind of Cinderella run. They're good. And they have not shot the ball well. And if they start hitting, and you saw that in the second half when they went on that 15-2 run, when they start hitting a couple of shots, Florida Atlantic not only can be a team that can win another game, we could see them on a Monday night playing for a championship. I don't think it's crazy. That's how good Florida Atlantic is. And then we wrap it up after we had the best game of the tournament, the first overtime game of the tournament with Michigan State, K-State. Then we go to Gonzaga, UCLA. First half. All UCLA. It was a dominating performance. Thought they're going to run away and hide. Here comes Gonzaga. First, they got right back into it. After being down at the half, they're down by 13. I think it got to 15 at one point early on. Gonzaga got it back to 8. All right, here we go. Ball game on. And after, I think it was Haquez hit a shot, they went 0 of 11 from the floor over the next six minutes. 0 of 11 from the floor. Gonzaga takes the lead. Looks like they're in cruise control. UCLA comes back, takes the lead, and then we get the shot at the end. An unbelievable. Strother hitting that three. Step in three. It's the Jay Wright play. How they won a national championship with Jenkins a couple of years back. Something that everybody uses. We talked about it when Iowa came back to beat Michigan State. How did they force overtime? The exact same play. It is a great play. It is well-designed. It works incredibly well. It is difficult to defend. That's something that we're going to have to see if teams are going to do some different things out there trying to defend what teams do on that final play. It is incredibly difficult, well run, hits the three, and ultimately the three-point victory for Gonzaga as they move on to the lead Eight. I don't know. I know there was a blowout in there. I don't know if you're going to find a better night of Sweet 16 games historically, looking back upon things, I don't know if you're going to see a whole lot better than what we saw. And we're not going to get it tonight. Let's be honest. San Diego State, Alabama kicks things off at 5.30. Miami-Houston, another number 1 seed against a 5. Princeton against Creighton. I smell a blowout happening in that one. Xavier-Texas, we'll see. Texas is playing so well right now. After what we got last night, the likelihood we get it two nights in a row not real high. The good news is we got also four other games happening, starting this afternoon with the Women's Sweet 16. Love what ESPN is doing with that one. Should be a fun, fun afternoon into the evening of basketball. 284 284-KXNO. You can join me here on Miller & Condon, Trent running solo. Let's get out to the phone lines right now. Who's on the line with me? Trent, right, it's Jeff.
2: How you doing? Good. What's happening, Jeff? Well, I'm watching that UCLA game last night, and uh, what a game of runs. You know, in the first half, you know, UCLA jumps out. I I believe Gonzaga probably had, I think, close to double digits uh, turnovers to start the first half, and they're down by 11. It's kind of going back and forth. And I think, I believe, Timmy had probably 20 in the first half and 19. And Timmy's doing Timmy things, and, you know, I'm getting some buddies texting me kind of talking about how he's not an NBA player and he he can't do this and he can't shoot free throws. He can't do that. We're watching college basketball, and Drew Timmy – I believe on the telecast, watch his post moves. Mm-hmm. If you're a coach or you're a kid or a girl, the post moves. Check him on YouTube. He, he is unbelievable. 14 and in, he's doing everything for his team. Now back to UCLA. I get it. They're they're banged up. They got yeah. three guys hurt, and but the adjustments. Here's the biggest adjustment. They said this last night. Where was the double on Timmy? Now I understood they doubled him once. And yeah, they hit a three. But if you go back and look at the stats, Gonzaga shooting—I don't know—in the twenties from three. Yeah. And you don't want to. And you don't want to. You know, again, just I, we're Sunday quarterbacking it. But I was saying the same thing live. Why not make someone else beat you?
1: That's it's, where it's, I was. I, I completely agree with you, Jeff. I I was baffled by it. You mentioned his footwork. He is so good, so smart, and he does normally make the right play. But until they start hitting shots. Just keep going at him. I mean, you can't allow that in a night where Gonzaga ends up shooting. What were they from the three point line? They were six of sixteen. They just weren't shooting it. Now five of fifteen going into that final three pointer that Strother hit. I'm completely with you. Here's one thing. Looking forward to Saturday. I will tell you, UConn, they got the dudes to cover up Timmy. It's going to be a lot more difficult inside for Timmy in the Elite Eight.
2: I agree. Uh, just just a side note here. Jumping jumping uh, ship real quick. What's your keys? And you might talk about it down the road, but what's the keys tonight for Iowa women? You know Colorado's going to want to slow it down, mm-hmm. uh, per- perimeter shooting. I would say perimeter shooting for the Hawkeyes early, getting Marshall, uh, getting uh, Warnock, getting Martin going early, and see if Caitlin can you know kind of go from there, go from there. But what are your keys tonight for the Hawkeyes, not just uh forget about the cover, but just to win mm-hmm. the
1: game? Got gotcha. you. Hey, appreciate the call, Jeff. I'll fire at you with this. Here's a couple of numbers for you with Colorado. Jeff mentioned, slow it down. They're 224th in the country in pace. Colorado's going to do just that. Iowa, second in the country in offensive rating. We know what they want to do, getting up and down the floor, getting the ball to shooters, and what Caitlin Clark does. Uh, also, this year, Colorado, this season, they average 10 steals per game. They force 15 and a half turnovers per game. A 16.7, excuse me. Now, they turn it over a lot. This is going to come down to, obviously, that part of it, right? If Colorado is able to dictate pace, slow things down, turn this into a back alley brawl, this is going to be trouble for Iowa. These are the kind of teams, that physicality that they have trouble with. The two posts inside, that's something different. Somebody like Warnock, she's going to have to play inside a lot more than she does. She's a good rebounder. Sonano, we know what she can be inside as well. But both of those, their defense assignments is going to be different. Quay Miller for Colorado is a post player. She's 6'3", but she also steps out and shoots it from the outside. So more than likely, it's going to be Warnock there. But that's the other part. Miller can go inside. That's going to be a problem. There are some matchup problems here. I think it comes down to pace. And the other side, Colorado does turn it over a lot. If Iowa can get this, not just in an up-and-down affair, but they can force... 15, 18, 20 turnovers in the game. I think they can win the game, not just win it. I think they win it comfortably. It's going to come down to a lot of Iowa's defense also. And we've seen some bad offensive teams have big nights against this Iowa women's team. Stop if you heard me before when we're talking about the men's team. We have seen that happen a whole lot here. If Iowa comes out with a defensive effort, and not just locking them down, because that's not the way that they're built, but they're forcing turnovers, they're getting them to play fast, I think Iowa has a chance to run away and win this thing by double digits. But if it's grinded out, we're going in the fourth quarter, and it's 56-54, Strap in. It's going to be a four-quarter one, and it is going to be tight and not the style that Iowa has had the most success. Quick timeout. Speaking of those Hawkeyes, we'll talk about that next with Tom Kakert. HawkeyeReport.com. we got football going on. we got spring practice underway. We'll get into that. An evolving Iowa basketball roster and a Sweet 16 matchup for the women's team. Plus, Iowa baseball continues to stay hot. We're talking Hawkeyes next with Tom Kakert. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. The which home selling team. Awesome. you through on a Friday. It's Miller and Condon 106.3 KXNO. Trent Condon so low today, but you don't have to listen to me ramble on to myself anymore. Don't worry about that. No, we got a slew of great guests coming up your way, including a Friday staple. He is Tom Kakert from HawkeyeReport.com and he joins us right now. Tom, as always, appreciate the time. It wouldn't be a Friday without talking Hawkeyes with you. How are things over in the Quad Cities?
3: Things are things are good. We're going to get some snow, uh, Maybe hopefully the last dose of snow here tonight and tomorrow, so um, that would be nice if we get rid of uh, no more snow.
1: I'm right there, ready for that. Uh, got the shorts out. We're ready to go at least. Enjoy the 50-degree weather <laughs> while it's here until it departs for a day or two. Tom, the team, the women's basketball team, is out in Seattle. I believe, what, I was the closest team out there, 1,500 miles away. Is, was this the right move by the women's committee deciding to go? I understand the theory behind it, right? Instead of having just four teams go to four different regions for the Sweet 16 and onto the Lead 8, instead we're going to send double that number and more fan bases. But at Outposts like Seattle, not an easy place. There aren't a ton of teams in that neck of the woods. It's not drivable. Did they make at least the right choice as it pertains to where they put this thing?
3: I would rather have had kind of two more centrally located kind of, you know, maybe at Denver and Indianapolis or something like that, you know, as two places to, to hold it. So that way you're not just, so, I mean, if you haven't been to Seattle, beautiful place, mm-hmm. just, it's a long long way to get yeah, there. Right. Uh, you know, I've covered the, they covered the A games up there with Iowa and it's, it's a haul to get up there. But um, having said that, it is kind of a hotbed of women's basketball up there. Mm. They really support the Seattle uh, WNBA team really strongly, with you know Sue Bird being on that team forever sure. and Brianna Stewart and everybody. So they have they have a, a really strong following for women's basketball. So that is my guess why they put it out there because they know that that place is probably going to draw. Although Kyle said uh, Kyle Huseman, who's out there covenant for us, said that. They are. They're getting close to the point where they're going to open the upper deck for the games uh, tonight, which tells me they didn't sell as many tickets as maybe they thought they were uh, going to. And again, that's a function of it's a long way from Louisville and mm-hmm. Old Miss and mm-hmm. Iowa and, and and even from Colorado. I mean, it's it's a far away from there too.
1: So uh, I'm looking forward here, 2024. It'll be in Albany, New York. And Portland, Oregon, Alabama, Birmingham for 2025 in Spokane. They love the Northwest, and then they wrap it up with Fort Worth. At least something in the middle of the country, and Sacramento. I don't know, just some odd choices. It feels like here, but you brought up one I didn't even think about with the Sue Bird angle, and, and remembering how well that that team has been supported out there with the Seattle Storm of the WNBA. I, I guess I get it a little bit. I just I got to see it, I guess, before I'm going to wrap my arms around it.
3: Yeah, I, I like the concepts because I think then you can draw more crowds um, just by having more more people there. And they're probably saving some money, let's be honest. Sure. They're probably saving some bucks, uh, not having to rent out uh, four facilities, just having two that they're dealing with. And they're going to be in those buildings anyway. Uh, so I, I get it. But it just, you know, it, it just always seems like they're going to shortchange the women's tournament. Mm-hmm. They just are, but I think it's evolving. Uh, This has been by far the most entertaining uh, women's NCAA tournament in my lifetime. because I can just remember when it's always been, you know, for years and years, it was just chalk. There was never any upsets, and it was always the top two or three seeds always made it to the Elite Eight. And you just look at what's happening with Iowa's regional, where it's, you know... Iowa's the only one of the low seeds that's made it uh, made it to the second weekend.
1: They did, and it's crazy. They are the betting favorite looking at uh, the yeah. future odds out there to get to the Final Four. They're minus money, in fact, to win the next two games and get there. But let's start with tonight. Have to win that one to get to the lead eight, and let's kick things off with this Colorado team Talked about it earlier, they're 224th in the country in pace. It took me a while, Tom, but uh, I think it was maybe Sunday night, Monday, no, it was Monday night after the game. Trying to find women's analytical numbers, a little bit more difficult than it is just hopping on Ken Palm or Bart (laughs) Torvik on the men's side of things, but I I was uh, finally able to do it. That jumped off, obviously, the pace that they play, a couple other things uh, there. They force almost 17 turnovers a game they also turn it over themselves quite a bit here but what's your game plan how, how do you scheme how does i will win this game and they've got they got
3: some size too they've mm-hmm. got two um six three girls that are just they're they're um built more like monica susano mm-hmm. they're they're um you know just powerfully built uh young ladies and they're and they're a, a tough to handle they got I can't remember which guard it was yesterday that was, that was wolfing about Caitlin Clark a little bit. I I don't know why, why would you poke the bear? I know. I, I I just don't, I don't understand poking of the bear kind of thing. I get you're, you're trying to show some bravado or whatever, but the way she's going to respond is not, it, it usually doesn't end well for you. So I, I just don't, I don't know why they keep doing that. Um, You know, that goes back to like Southeast Louisiana. They were, we're pretty good too, and and then you had the comments from uh, the Georgia coach after the game that her girl was the best player on the floor, mm-hmm. and it's like, where are you guys getting these things from? But um, yeah, I I just think Iowa's always going to be able to score enough, uh, and I'm just not sold that uh, this Colorado team can can score uh, enough points to be able to um, be able to to beat Iowa. And then, you know, we'll see who they end up with. The you know, old Miss knocked off um, Stanford. And and uh, that Louisville team's got a lot of uh, – I know the, the faces are different, but the program itself has got a lot of success behind it in recent years.
1: No doubt about it. And that Louisville team, you know, they're preseason, I think, number seven in the AP poll coming into yeah. the year. They dealt with a lot of injuries this year. It's kind of a trying year for them, but they're playing right. And not only that, they have – the recruiting background where they've got a lot of high level players on that team. They recruited at a different level than certainly Iowa does historically of what they've been able to bring in recently. There's final fours on their resume. So that's the one of the two Ole Miss played a great game against Stanford, watched a ton of that Monday night. I watched more women's basketball. I think than I ever have in my life. <laughs> I, I, I was locked and loaded and really enjoyed uh, watching all the different games and bouncing around, but great that We're Louisville great team, They they make me nervous. I'll say that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, and Louisville is the just because of their pedigree is the scarier of all the the teams there and i'm not, uh thinking, you know saying i was going to walk to the elite eight they, they got to go out and win a game they're mm-hmm. they're not colorado's not going to give you the game they're just going they, they got to go out and win it and i think they will but um it's they're going to try yeah i always I, my joke running joke the last couple weeks has been if you think the, um NCAA men's basketball is poorly officiated. Uh, hold hold my beer with the uh, the women's games because, ooh man, is it bad? And that's just that's the thing I worry about more than anything else tonight is that they just let them turn it into a brawl and don't whistle. The whistle gets broke, you know, it's just not blown, and then Iowa gets uh, off their game because they're more of a finesse team. Where Colorado is is strictly they're gonna get in your Get in your grill and get after you, and try to be physical with you. And if if that if that's allowed, Iowa might be in some trouble.
1: I'm right there with you. I think the officiating, unfortunately, very well could dictate the way this thing uh, plays out. Well, there's a lot else going on in Hawkeye land, and let's jump over to football. Spring practice underway. Kirk Ferentz met with you guys earlier in the week, and he brought up old friend Spencer Petras. Not going to close the door on that one, is he, Tom? <laughs> He
3: is on the roster
1: so uh, now, now, Tom, now, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but but seriously for the fan base isn't it time he'll be a grad assistant yeah we'll keep we're keeping on scholarship just so he can go through rehab on our time say those things but there is so much scar tissue here. This is not just a me thing, Tom. I'm talking to people that don't even know my opinion on it. There is so much negativity. I just don't think it's good for the football program and the fan base between the two to even have it be a possibility. Well,
3: he's not gonna start. I mean the job is Cade is McNamara's. So there's, there's But what if it's no November ha- and
1: Cade goes down with an injury?
3: Well then then maybe that's that would end up being a possibility.
1: It's yeah, not a good possibility. It's it's a bad thing for the program, I believe, Tom. Yeah,
3: it it might be, but I don't even know if he's going to be healthy enough to to, to effectively throw a football in November.
1: Well, he wasn't when he was I mean, healthy.
3: The earliest, the earliest it, he was going to be healthy because he shredded his shoulder. I mean, he, told, he told me he tore everything. So it's like September was like the earliest he's going to kind of get back to throwing. So I... I just think he's around just to more be like a kind of a guy around the team. And so he can do his rehab in Iowa city and, and do do that in a place where he's comfortable and work his way back. And, and, uh, you know, I, I don't have a problem with him being around. I, if, if they annoy him as starting quarterback, then we've got a problem.
1: Yes. Yes, we do. A big time problem there. Cade back to Mara going through a few things playing seven on seven, but, the way that Kirk phrased it, I believe, they don't want anybody falling towards his legs, right? They don't want anybody, a no. defensive lineman, getting pushed down or an offensive lineman pushed into him. It is very simply, keep Cade McNamara upright and let's get to August.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's going to be anybody allowed within like 10 feet of him. <laughs> right. And nobody's going to fall into his leg. Uh, they're just not. They've got to keep him him healthy. Uh, he... He told me that he's going to be ready, you know, 100% by the end of spring ball. So we're talking like sometime in April. He'll probably get the uh, the full, full, all clear. Uh, but he's doing everything right now. But they're just being super careful with him, as they should, because, you know, the backup situation is Joe Labus, De- Deacon Hill, and Marco Lanez when he gets there in June. And that's, that's kind of it. So they've got to they got to keep – he's the, the most valuable player right now and, uh, and the guys they need to stay healthy.
1: Luke Lachey, Eric all seeing both those guys at the tight end list, along with Ostrega, who I think we saw a little something uh, last year during yeah. his freshman year. I think he's got a future running back, looks solid. Caleb Johnson has a chance to be a star. LaShawn Williams, I think a very competent backup. And Jazion Patterson, definitely something there. We saw that in the bowl game. But then you get to wide receiver. Woof. I know Brody Breck's not there. I know Seth Anderson is dealing with what Kirk deemed a soft tissue injury. They still got work to do. May first through the fifteenth, that portal opens up once again. They've been reshopping. Be I don't just think for a wide receiver, they need a couple more to out of the portal.
3: I would agree with that um, one for sure.
1: Yes, um, absolutely.
3: And you also mentioned you also didn't mention Jacob Bostic, who's out for the spring with the injury. And I'm very high on Bostic, but he just can't stay healthy, right. and that's that's just been a, a problem because he, I mean, he looks the part. He's, you know, six, three, six, four, um, you know, Bertie Beck is not really doing a whole lot right now because he's throwing fastballs on Friday nights. Uh, so he's, he's a little preoccupied throwing a hundred mile an hour, uh, pitches, uh, at Banks field today. So, um, I think, um, the, I, well, I know they're going to be scouring the portal. Yeah, once that spring portal period opens up, they're going to, be all over that and uh, and and try and get somebody else out of out of the portal. But after that, I, I don't know if they they would be able to roster two more. But I, I think you're right; they probably need two more. It, it may just depend on what they can get, you yeah. know, and what they, you know, and what the NIL can afford. Because we all know it's for a lot of kids, it comes down to to dollars and cents decision.
1: Final thing for you over to basketball, Tom Caker at HawkeyeReport.com. Joining us from On3Media and uh, reading your board over there, the message board. Yes, I helped you out signing up for that $1 deal that you guys had there. <laughs> don't don't be spending it all in one place, Tom. But uh, cool. reading through uh, Brad's comments there, Brad Heinrich, who runs the Iowa Swarm, the Hawkeye Collective over there, mentioning that, what is it? about 90% of their money is earmarked towards football. That means not a whole lot of money for basketball. I think, A, that means a one. Iowa to be very active in the transfer portal for basketball. You better pony up. And secondly, there's not the war chest that maybe some people assume here for basketball and what Fran's trying to do in the portal.
3: Yeah, and and, and I will emphasize this, uh, that, that people who are interested can make designated yep. basketball-only pledges, gifts to the collective. And, and I know they're trying uh, to land one of those uh, and, and might be in close on something. We'll, we'll see if they're able to, to get it nailed down, but it, it would be significant. Um, you know, cause I think Fran probably needs, and I, I think Brad has said this, that they need about a million bucks a year mm-hmm. for, um, to cover the entire roster. And Fran has also been pretty emphatic that, He wants to take care of his own guys, his guys first. And I'm not talking about, like, his sons. I'm just talking about the guys on his team, the guys that are currently there. He doesn't want to bring in some guy and give them X number of dollars and then only give the guys who have been there, blood, sweat, and tears for three years, get Y. And Y is a lot less than X. Uh, I don't think he wants that kind of situation. Now, is that reality? Is that, is that realistic? I don't think so. But it's just, you know, because there's going to be a price to doing business in the portal, and it's probably higher than, um, than uh, what what the the current players have been getting.
1: Tom Kaker, hey Tom, as always, appreciate your time. We're out of it for today. We will talk sure. to you again next Friday, and Ken will be back from circa at that point.
3: Yeah, we don't like Ken. No, not right
1: we don't now. Like him. Yeah, he's on a crap nope.
3: list. He's on a crap
1: list. Yep. <laughs> we'll see, you, Tom. <laughs> Okay, bye-bye. Tom Caker, HawkeyeReport.com, part of On 3 Media, our Friday conversations with Tom. We go over to the Cyclones next. Dave Sprout's going to stop by. Matt Campbell met with the media. Some thoughts on that, what we learned, what we're looking to learn in spring football. Speaking of that transfer portal, Iowa State heavily involved on the men's basketball side. All that and a whole lot more when we come back. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. Welcome back. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO, minus the Miller. He's at Circa right now. I wonder if he slept in today. I wonder if Williams and the other Miller kept him out all night. Difficult to do. I've tried many times with Ken. He is, well, he is much the same even when he goes out to Vegas. Right now joining us, he is Dave Sproul, 1430 KASI in Ames. That's where the Cyclones play in Story County. And he joins us here today. What's happening, Dave?
2: Not much, just been watching all
0: the hoops, and uh, boy, got pretty jazzed up by those two two exciting games last night, barely got to sleep last night.
1: Yeah, it was uh, one of those evenings where all of a sudden I looked up, man, it's one, I gotta go to bed, I'm just so (laughs) juiced from those games, and it it got me revved up, and and I know I'm not alone, Michigan State, K-State, seeing Kansas State get into the lead eight now, now a game away against Florida Atlantic from playing in the Final Four, that team coming into the year. We knew a little something about Johnson, right? I mean, he was SEC Freshman of the Year a couple years back in Florida before he had the uh, the heart situation with him. But, Noel, do you remember hearing anything about him? I just remember, hey, they got this little point guard, and that was it. But there were no expectations for him coming in from Little Rock that I remember. Do you?
0: Oh, absolutely not. He came in from Little Rock. I mean, that's, that's it's not like he was this— uh, uh, High-profile kind of transfer dude that was going to take over the Big 12, but he's really proven what he can do. And, and shout out to Kansas State for being home of the, the short kings between him and Deuce Vaughn. Right. You know, if you're under five ten, it's like Manhattan, Kansas is the
1: place for you. It looks that way, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, they got the little guys. And how about the job that Gene Taylor has done there, their athletic director, having in year one, Jerome Tang. What a hire that was. Tang always was waiting. There's been plenty of opportunities that have come his way, but. He was very comfortable being on Scott Drew's bench and being the number uh, 1 assistant over there. Waited, took a Big 12 job, and he has hit the ground running there. Really impressive to see. Speaking of uh, Big 12 basketball, next year, Iowa State's got a great recruiting class coming in. We certainly know all about that. What about the transfer portal? What are you hearing in terms of, we know they're going to be involved. What kind of volume are we looking at here? How many scholarships, and, and what would you put kind of the need positions here as they start to go through the portal with those four all really good freshmen coming in?
0: Yeah, so as of right now, you know, you, Eli King is transferring out. That opens up a scholarship. And I think, if I remember right, Caleb Grill had another uh, season of mm-hmm. eligibility left. And, but with his dismissal, I think that opens up. So you got at least two. Uh, scholarships open right now for uh, a potential transfer to, to, to join the team. And uh, who knows what else you can do to to juggle things or, you know, another player might transfer out. But what I would say obviously needs to do is same thing as we talked about last week or, or last year, uh, go out and find themselves an impact offensive player, a skilled guy who can uh, get some shots for you. And they'll, they'll have that. I got the chance to see Omar Blue down at the state basketball tournament, you know, a couple weeks back, <laughs> Obviously very impressive uh, specimen, and I think he's going to bring some punch to that offensive end, and we'll see if some of the other recruits do. Uh, but you, you really want to bring in somebody, if you're Iowa State, with a proven track record. The last couple seasons of, of transfers have been guys who weren't exactly lightened it up even before coming to Iowa State and didn't have a, a track record of being consistently uh, you know, high-percentage shooters. Uh, on the offensive end. But, uh, you know, after what you saw against Pittsburgh last week, it's obvious that Iowa State's offense does, I don't think they need to change much schematically or in terms of even shot selection. It's just the ability to make shots. You need offensive skill players. And I'm sure that's what they'll be looking for in the transfer portal uh, during the offseason.
1: You know, and a guy like Jeremiah Williams, who would have been the starting point guard this year before his ACL injury, yeah, he can run a team, he's offensively, but he's challenged shooting the basketball. He shot 23% in his last year at Temple. He shot 32% as a freshman, passes it well, but shooting is not exactly his forte there. So, I mean, you're looking at... Probably a volume score, right? A Brockington type of guy. A guy that can come in and not average 9 a game. You're looking for somebody that can come in and probably average 16 a game. It's, that's got to be, I don't want to say it's easy because it's not, but that's got to be something when you're going and you're looking at these portal guys and guys that have put up big stats at a mid-major or looking for a role in the Big 12, something like that. That's got to be a pretty good selling point for TJ. Hey, you can come in here and we're going to run a lot of the offense through you.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's part of the feel that it will make to, uh, you know, whoever he's looking for might be a good fit. Uh, the, you know, the problem is now, you know, there's a ton of guys in the transfer portal, which is great, but that also means there's a ton of openings on other teams. So the competition mm-hmm. is as fierce as ever for those skilled guys. And of course, even if you're talking about guys who are going from mid-major to high-major or, or what have you, you're talking about the kind of guys who are going to be in demand because so many offenses in, in college basketball. And, and this might be my perception more than reality, it just seems like there aren't a whole lot of really skilled offensive players in the college game right now, and I think those will be, you know, the guys in most demand, so it'll be a very tough competition to try to get somebody to aim because there's just going to be so many teams that are in the same pool.
1: Talking Cyclones with Dave Sprout, let's jump over to football. Matt Campbell. A Matt Campbell type of press conference we didn't get a ton right there was not any breaking yeah. news there was no headlines that came out of it but you know after 24 years of Kirk Ferentz and now 7 years of Matt Campbell this is what we get right Dave it is kind of same old same <laughs> old and looking for those storylines it's you got to work a little bit harder to find kind of a narrative coming out of these press conferences
0: yeah i think of Matt about- Apple's ability to get kind of washed up into his own vernacular is getting better and better each season. And he talks more in, in circles and he talks about, you know, the process and uh-huh. things like that have become cliches. And he's talking about, you know, the hows and whys and things. And I'm just, my head is spinning. Like, is he actually saying anything here? But he, he doesn't, you know, he's not the kind of coach who wants to give too much away. He was fairly open about some of the injury situations. Uh, and, and talking about how guys like gyro Brock, Cartavis Norton are going to be limited, and that in a way, with Brock at the very least, it sounds like it's actually an improvement over what we'd heard about a month ago when he gave his, his signing day press conference, and it sounded like Brock probably wasn't going to participate at all in in any you know kind of physical on field stuff for uh, the spring. But guys like Brock, Norton, uh, Isaiah Lee on the defensive line, uh, the tight end to Sean Hanika, guys like that, and there's a couple other guys they're going to be able to participate at least somewhat. He said these guys will be limited, but there's nobody who is just going to have to, at least to start, to just sit out the entire spring, which is a good place for Iowa State to be, considering the way injuries kind of racked up last season.
1: Finally, Dave, Stephanie Sores did not get the extra year of eligibility. She had gone past the 30% limit, uh, went in, tried to get an extra year, didn't happen there. Certainly a disappointing end there, and it definitely would have been a good story. We don't know when she's going to be ready to go again after the torn ACL, but would have been something, even if she would have been able to come back you know, in January, February next year, would have been something good for her. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Disappointing news, certainly.
0: Yeah, it's very unfortunate in the sense that, you know, she, her her one shot basically of playing at the highest level of college basketball was cut short by an injury. Unfortunately, that injury happened deep enough in the season where your odds of getting a waiver aren't very good. You add to that, she, she had already played four years, even though that was at the NAIA level. I think that probably worked against her as, as well in terms of getting the the waiver. Uh, So on the one hand, you know, the NCAA, it's a a bureaucratic administration and they're sticking to their bureaucratic rules and all that. And I, I see why they want to do that because you don't want to kind of reset a a precedent in a case like this, but at the same time, you're, you're kind of pushing out or at least taking away the option of a a college player, getting that full college experience and somebody who would be a great story to have in the college basketball realm. uh, and, And now you're denying that opportunity and that's very unfortunate, I think, for the game as a whole, not because Stephanie Suarez is so great, but just the opportunity to give another player another opportunity to play at that level the way she wants to.
1: David, enjoy the weekend. We'll uh, track you down next week and talk a little Twins, too. How's that sound?
0: Sounds great to me, buddy.
1: Have a good one. That's Dave Sproud joining us, 1430 K-A-S-I. Twins? We'll talk more Twins coming up next hour. We kick things off in Vegas Mike Palm stops by from Circa Sports. Nick Nelson on the twins. Your chance.